Well, we've, uh, we're in the, the, this talking points class. Uh, we've now taken the first week to point out uh, that a biblical worldview is really a matter of viewing the world through the biblical storyline, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. So this whole class is, is really an exercise in applying uh, that thought, um, applying the biblical storyline to our view of the world. Then last week, we talked about engaging a a secularized and polarized culture, um, suggesting that increasing polarization in culture is a result of conflicting worldviews. The Christian worldview was once dominant, uh, but now that's no longer the case. So how do we engage culture? We surveyed the options, the Christ of culture, Christ against culture, Christ above culture, and paradox with culture, and transforming culture, um, and then concluded that Um, although culture is secularizing still, uh, rather than a total withdrawal from culture, we should thoughtfully engage with each element of culture, taking particular gestures, um, not fundamental postures. Um, sometimes condemnation, sometimes critique, other times enjoying, uh, and still other times copying or borrowing insights from culture. Uh, we also talk about co-belligerence, political co-belligerence. Don't kiss the donkey or the elephant. Uh, we don't want to be known as Christians by our political allegiances, but rather by kingdom citizenship. Uh, then we talk about excellence in vocation, being a faithful presence in the world through all the work that God calls us to and how this is a critical element in being salt and light. And then finally, civil disagreement, um, seeking to um, exercise kind of charitable conversation uh, with opponents, uh, you know, those who have opposing viewpoints. Um, so that was in- engaging a polarized culture. Now this morning, we're going to talk about how to listen to the news as Christians. Uh, f- for many, the news is a source of great irritation. Uh, others have grown so skeptical of journalism that they question whether it's worth paying at- any attention at all. Um, and for those who do pay attention, you know, how, how do we interpret the news and, and what do we do with it? Um, so we'll begin this morning by taking a brief survey, uh, which we'll then collect and tabulate and hopefully give you all those results at the end of class. So uh, if you have, does everyone have one of those surveys? They were on the table in the back. Does anyone not have one of those surveys? Okay, a few people. Sean will hand those out. If you need one, just raise your hand and Sean will get one to you. There are pens back there. All right. I look forward to finding out the results. Um, So let's begin with definitions. What is the news? Uh, News is information about current events delivered to the general public by the news industry. So information about current events delivered to the public by the news industry. Um, which is an ever, in an ever-increasing variety of mediums. You know, the um, print uh, news, radio, television, websites, podcasts, which would have been another good question. Where, where do you most, most of you get your news from? There's an increasing uh, variety of options. So, but th- th- that collection of news delivery organizations is collectively called sometimes the media, although media is probably broader and refers to this kind of environment um, of communication, and so media is this kind of whole mix of cultural influences uh, that includes the news industry. So the news industry would be kind of a subset of uh, a bigger world of, of media, but news industry would be related to information about current events. 
Uh, and to the news industry, you as a person are a consumer and a product. Uh, you're a consumer of the news as well as a product uh, because you consume the product that they deliver, that they sell you, the, the news, uh, but you're also a product to them in the sense that they're kind of, their aggregate uh, consumers are sold to advertisers. And so um, you're both a consumer and a product. And through social media, many of us product consumers also become distributors of the news, um, though uncompensated. I grew up in Wisconsin and have nightmares still about uh, my newspaper routes, which I had starting when I was 12, and uh, was trudging through the you know, two feet of snow at 5 a.m. in the morning and the sub-zero temperatures, but at least I was compensated. Uh, now many of us distribute that news, as much news as I ever did or more, through social media uh, without any compensation whatsoever. So consumers, products, and distributors. Um, and so the news industry exists as, as part of a consumer economy. And, and the news industry also has influence in shaping uh, the, the society. Uh, the, it's been called the agenda-setting function of the news. Political scientist Bernard Cohen pointed out that news media might not tell us what to think, though it often does that, but certainly tells us what to think about. Um, and so it has an agenda-setting function in our society. And at a minimum, news can shape our worldview by directing our attention towards certain things and not other things, and by shaping our vocabulary and our concerns and our intuitions as a society. So news is not just the cold, hard facts. It's the representation of certain facts and not others selected and framed on the basis of certain presuppositions that arise from a worldview. And, and because of this, the news is actually at the center of the polarization of society as news both reflects and affects uh, the worldviews that are in conflict in our society. And so as Christians, uh, we want to listen to the news critically because we want the biblical worldview to shape our interpretation of the news uh, rather than letting the news shape our interpretation of the world. So that's kind of a, a basic goal for us in engaging the news. So this morning we'll think about how to listen to the news, uh, considering um, quantity of news, the source of the news, and then the scriptures and worldview. So consider, first of all, uh, the quantity. How should I listen to the news? Um, how, or how much news should I listen to? And some might say the first answer is don't. Uh, don't listen to the news. Um, now, of course, it probably depends on who you are. Uh, some probably should listen less, but perhaps some others should try to listen to the news more. Um, Christians should be characterized by a pursuit of truth. We want to know what is true about God and about humanity, and we want to be discerning and skilled uh, to interpret life through the lens of Scripture. Sometimes that might mean consuming less news. So often the best way to read the news is to not read it at all, uh, but rather to read good philosophy, sociology, um, theology, novels, uh, if you read these things, in one sense, you will have read the news uh, because the news never really changes. It's always the same uh, with different names and details, but the stories are basically always the same because the stories are about humanity, and humanity never really changes. You know, we put on different clothes, but the storyline is usually the same. Neil Postman, in his book, How to Watch the TV News, says, 
If you're concerned that cutting down your viewing time will cause you to miss important news, keep this in mind. Each day's TV news consists, for the most part, of 15 examples of the seven deadly sins, with which you are already quite familiar. There may be a couple of examples uh, of stories exemplifying lust, usually four about murder, occasionally one about gluttony, another about envy, and so on. It cannot possibly do you any harm to excuse yourself each week from 30 or 40 of these examples. Remember, TV news does not reflect normal, everyday life. So much of the news is meaningless like this for us. In 1854, Henry David Thoreau uh, pondered in his famous book, Walden, uh, why we're so eager to find ways to bring news from afar. He said, we're in great haste to construct a magnetic telegraph from Maine to Texas, but Maine and Texas, it may be, have nothing important to communicate. We are eager to tunnel under the Atlantic and bring the old world some weeks nearer to the new. But perchance the first news that will leak through into the broad, flapping American ear will be that Princess Adelaide has the whooping cough. I think he was right. Much news basically is is not meaningful to us. And uncritical engagement with large quantities of news can have an inverse effect on our intelligence. As another author said, Whatever, whenever there is a surplus of easily accessible knowledge, there is a corresponding downside, the reduction of critical thinking skills leading to atrophy of thought. So the less skillfully you think, the more others will think for you. Or as John Somerville argues in his optimistically titled book, How the News Makes Us Dumb, um, the, the news began to make us dumber when we insisted on having it daily. Um, So some may need to listen to the news less, but others might need to listen to the news more. Not listening to the news uh, can be one form of inappropriately withdrawing from society. Now, maybe in a particular season of life, um, you find you just don't have time to digest much. But on the whole, if believers are going to thoughtfully engage our culture in evangelism, and then we must understand with some nuance uh, the worldview of our culture, which will be reflected in living color in the daily news. Uh, for the church to be at its best in engaging the culture in evangelism in particular, we must have thoughtful reflections on what culture is and where it's going, even as we maintain a, a countercultural sort of life. Um, So sharing the gospel effectively, the task of missions, uh, speaking the gospel to our culture, is is really a task of bringing two worldviews that are in conflict with one another into contact with one another. Uh, Leslie Newbegin, in his book, Foolishness to the Greeks, uh, poses the question, what would a genuinely missionary encounter with Western culture look like? What would a genuinely missionary encounter with Western culture uh, look like? For us to take part as missionaries in our culture, we must understand the dynamics at play in our culture, uh, what our culture is. We must be able to bring our worldview, the Christian worldview, into contact with the secular worldview, which means having uh, a sufficient or even an effective understanding of both. So just one practical suggestion here, if you find yourself in this category of needing to listen to the news more, Um, If you engage the news very little, maybe you feel uninterested or like you don't have time to do this, feel too busy, 
um, consider finding a good source for curated news and, and listening to, to curated news with commentary on it from a biblical worldview. Um, Al Mohler's daily analysis of news and world events is called The Briefing, and it's excellent. That's what Stacy listens to almost every day. And I know many in our church listen to The World and Everything in It, a podcast by, put out by World Magazine. It's been described as NPR from a Christian worldview. And, of course, uh, NPR is an excellent source for news, though obviously from a secular worldview. There's no obligation to listen to NPR, but I think some, again, might need to consider whether not listening to NPR or not engaging news in general is actually an inappropriate form of withdrawal from culture. Do you listen to enough of the news to be able to thoughtfully engage the world around you? And if you do engage a significant amount of news, are you engaging it meaningfully and processing it thoughtfully. All right. Speaking of meaningful news, then let's turn uh, from quantity to source. Where does the news come from? This used to be a fairly straightforward question, uh, but now has grown rather complex. Um, And increasingly, news comes from spurious sources. It's unreliable. It's Fake news, as we all know. And again, Christians should be characterized as a pursuit of truth. We don't want to indulge uh, fake news. A collaboration of uh, Duke and UNC professors released a book um, this year, just a few months ago, entitled Misinformation and Mass Audiences, exploring um, the prevalence of and consequences of this kind of phenomenon of misinformation in mass media. And one of the things that they point out, I haven't read the book, but heard an interview with a couple of the authors, is is that according to a lot of research, many people in certain instances don't even mind misinformation as long as it fits with their prior conclusions. You probably saw that coming. This is the concept of confirmation bias. We like to hear things that agree with us and have less of a concern sometimes as to whether it's true or not. May this not be true of the Christian community. Uh, you know, part of the problem with fake news is not only that it plays to prior conclusions, but it, it also deepens our opinions uh, and tends to polarize further those who differ. So I, I have a neighbor who just finished her Ph.D. at NC State on uh, Facebook, the role of Facebook in the formation of moral intuitions. Well, that obviously sparked a great conversation. Um, <laughs> She was telling me some of her fascinating observations about the way scrolling through news feeds shapes moral intuition, seeing headlines even if they're never clicked on. Um, so you don't know what the news says really or where it comes from, but you just see the headline. And just from seeing those headlines, then our, our moral intuitions can be shaped and deepened. We should be on guard then against allowing our thoughts and moral intuitions from being shaped by words that may not reflect the truth. Christians should be characterized by a pursuit of truth. Uh, But fake news isn't a new phenomenon. It's actually been highlighted because of social media, but George Orwell, in his essay, Politics in the English Language, in the first half of the 20th century, complained about the way cheap English journalism, favorite phrase of G.K. Chesterton, uh, conformed to political orthodoxy. So language was being used to obscure... um, rather than clarify, and thus it was manipulative. And this same kind of thing goes on in the news today all the time. Uh, Nancy Percy, in her book, um, Love Thy Body, gives an example of this kind of thing going on. She says, We are living in a time of propaganda and sales pitches where words are used to manipulate. 
In a recent Gallup poll, a full 70% of Americans, 70%, are in favor of allowing doctors to hasten a terminally ill patient's death when it's described as allowing doctors to, quote, end the patient's life by some painless means. But only 50% support um, euthanization when it's described as doctors helping a patient, quote, commit suicide. Um, So you can see then how just phrasing it in a different way is being used in one sense to manipulate, to shape the conversation about a significant moral issue. So language is used to hide meaning rather than to clarify it. And thus audiences and readership is guided into these sort of polarized positions intentionally on the part of the news, but often inadvertently on the part of the reader. So it can be hard to read the news, in part because the news industry is not concerned to help you think largely and carefully about the news. They're concerned to sell the news. They're concerned to advance an agenda. They are not concerned to help you think critically about the news. So how do you protect yourself against misinformation? How do you protect yourself against fake news or these kind of manipulative uses of language? Joe Carter with the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission uh, says, a commitment to truth is our protection against fake news. Commitment to truth is our protection against fake news. So he suggests this little experiment. He says, here's a simple exercise to determine how protected you are from fake news. Over the next few days, set aside all conceptions about the motives of the news industry and focus solely on your own reaction. So whenever you encounter a specific news item, think about your reaction to that piece of news. Do you want it to be true or false? Are you more inclined to believe the news if you want it to be true or disbelieve it if you want it to be false? How is motivated reasoning like this affecting what agendas you accept from the news industry? The idea of that little exercise, and when you're listening to the news, rather than questioning the motive of the, the news industry, focus on your own um, response to it, your own sort of reaction to hearing the news. So as, as Christians, as I've said, ra- rather than letting the news shape our interpretation of the world, we, we want to carefully sort of critically interact with the news, uh, letting the Bible shape our interpretation of it rather than it shaping, shaping us. Well, how do we do that? That brings us to number three, scripture and worldview. So just a few suggestions here, uh, two actually main suggestions for incorporating scripture and worldview into our uh, news intake habits. First of all, make a habit of applying biblical worldview. Make a habit of applying biblical worldview. So again, Nancy Piercy said, It's easy to get caught up in the latest controversy or breaking news story, uh, but current events are merely surface effects, like waves on the ocean. The real action happens below the surface at the level of worldviews. So an example of that is the way that the news relies on scientific experts to understand data. Um, So a news story is presented uh, to interpret or make some sense of the significance of that news story, a scientific expert kind of addressing that area is brought to bear. So w- one thing you may note while listening to the news then is the way science is cited, kind of in the same way that a preacher cites the Bible. Um, because secularism sees nothing beyond material existence, therefore science is the ultimate authority in a secular worldview. So science has become like the high priest of the secular revolution, 
Um, they believe and often convince others that their own ultimate authorities uh, lie in science and, and the studies that they are produced then is kind of never-ending, most recently published studies um, become like the inspired texts of secularism as if they're immune to um, error and methodology. The problem with this sort of thing, though, is the, um, s- the track record of scientists and science you may remember the story of Stephen Hawking, who died last month. Uh, he's a brilliant metaphysicist whose doctoral thesis rocked modern science uh, with this claim and proof based on emanations from black holes that the universe actually had a definite beginning. Uh, so then he had a long, brilliant career, both academically and popularly. And then at the back end of his life, um, he claimed that the universe actually has no beginning, uh, reversed his own theory, um, on the basis of similar sort of data and offered a proof for this as well. The story of Stephen Hawking is not isolated. It's actually a microcosm. Uh, his story is the story of science. Scientific theories sometimes feel practically made to be overturned. Um, st- studies never stand. You, know, you produce your study, I'll produce 10 of mine. Uh, in, in some cases, studies demonstrate or seem to demonstrate ideology more than science. Uh, all seculars are skeptics, though, in regards to all things except I'm not sure science. I <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I hope no one else in the room is thinking that right now. <laughs> um, you know, so as Christians, we receive ultimate truth by revelation um, from from Scripture, uh, and then. And yet the method by which seculars come at ultimate truth is by scientific method. And, and then studies are like the inspired texts of, of that religion, if you, will, if you will. So as we listen to the news, we see this dynamic playing out. You know, there's kind of a, this fundamental divide between what we, where we consider authority to come from uh, played out in the news. The secular worldview sort of reve- reveals itself in that way. And that's why, like Nancy Piercy says, you know, often as you listen to the news, what you're actually seeing is these worldviews in conflict down underneath. Uh, but it re- requires a bit of critical engagement. So when you read a news story, um, think about what category it's in. This is if you want to apply scriptures and worldview and, and develop this kind of habit of thinking biblically about the news, uh, one way of doing that is beginning by thinking about what category uh, it's in. Is this economics that this news piece is addressing? Is it ethics, sexuality, politics, um, some blend of these things? Um, and then ask, do I know any clear scriptures that address this issue? I know any explicit mention of this issue or this category in scripture that I can bring to bear in thinking about this topic? What are those scriptures? What do they say? Uh, maybe begin with the Ten Commandments. You know, if, no, if no scriptures immediately come to mind, just think of the Ten Commandments. Go over them in your head. Do any of the Ten Commandments apply uh, to this piece of news? Uh, many ethics professors see the Ten Commandments as timeless ethical principles that give guidance on an endless uh, number of issues. So how do the Ten Commandments address uh, the news that you're reflecting on? And then beyond explicit scriptures, how does this topic or news story fit into a biblical worldview? Uh, How is this news story informed by the storyline of the Bible? 
So that's what we talked about the first week is creation, fall, redemption, restoration. You know, so when, when a story comes up, how can I apply that storyline to this news story? Uh, so when a, when, a, uh, when a story comes up on the topic of racism, which might be addressed from all sorts of different angles and experiences, you want to first kind of develop in your mind or kind of recall to your mind the biblical framework that addresses racism just sort of in general. Creation. Uh, God created one human race, not many. There are many ethnicities, but one race. All humans have been created in the image of God. Uh, humans reflect the variety of God's divine imagination and things like this. Creation, you recall those general truths. Fall, humans are in conflict with one another, both individually and cl- collectively. Uh, we deny God's image in others through murder and hatred and many other sins. We presume our own value over and against the value of others. Uh, that we're all born ethnocentrists in this sense. You know, I think people like me are best. We think people like us are best. Um, and these institutions then reflect, human institutions then, as well as individuals, reflect these kind of broken dynamics. Fall. Uh, so you kind of recall all of this to mind and apply it to the topic. Redemption. Uh, through Christ in the church, God brings people of various ethnicities to himself, and so he brings them close to one, one another as well, creating, as Ephesians 2 says, one new man, so that where there were two separate ethnicities, um, now there's this kind of transcendent heavenly reality in the gospel uh, that binds them together into one. And then restoration. Uh, Revelation 5, John sees the 24 elders bowing down before the throne saying, Worthy are you because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And then two chapters later in Revelation 7, John sees this great crowd that no one could number composed of all those purchased ones, people from persons from every tribe and tongue and language and nation standing before the throne of God and singing as one giant choir, salvation belongs to our God. Those age-old animosities then evaporate before the throne of Jesus, and that is the restoration of all things. So... You know, that's just a quick run through kind of applying the biblical worldview to the topic of race and racism. So it's not going to answer every question that any particular news story might bring up on the topic, but it, it provides the framework that we need to recall to our minds as Christians for thinking through the news. So um, we want to develop this habit of, of thinking biblically, critically about the news. And then, and then secondly, guard your heart as you take in the news. Guard your heart as you take in the news. Um, so last week we looked briefly at Psalm 2, which tells us the nations will rage. Um, but the emphasis of Psalm 2, as we pointed out, is, is not so much on the power of the nations raging as it is on the futility of their rage. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Um, So the rage of the nations against the Christian world, secularism against Christianity, should be no surprise to us. Um, And it also shouldn't cause any alarm for us. The point of Psalm 2 is the futility of their rage. So what, what effect does the news have on your heart? As you hear about kind of this increasing secularization, as you sense it in your reading of the news, what effect does that have on your heart? Do you feel anxious and fearful? Do you become angry and bitter? 
Um, you who say you believe in the sovereign power of God, does the news have a subtle effect on your heart, causing you to hope and despair over these imaginary kind of worldly powers rather than uh, a heart that's affected by this true and eternal reign of God? In other words, do you, do you bring that kind of Psalm 2 perspective um, with you when you read the news? Psalm 112, verses 6 through 8 says, The righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. This is is the kind of heart that we want to have in approaching the news. A heart full of confidence in God's sovereignty uh, and not rocked, but thinking critically and thoughtfully, applying scripture uh, to uh, to what we see there. All right, so that's just kind of all foundational for this little group exercise we're going to do now. Um, could you help me pass these out? So I have, um, I have four different articles, uh, news pieces. Um, one of them is on uh, refugees it's from The Economist. Uh, America's on track to admit the fewest refugees in four decades. Actually, hang on one second. Here's, this is what we need to do with those. Uh, we need to split up into groups, and everyone in a group has the same article. So there are four different articles, so not everyone will be reading the same article, but everyone in a, in a group will be reading the same article. Does that make sense? Sorry. No, multiple groups can have the same article. Yeah. Are you with me? What do you want me to do? <laughs> so hand like four out at a time, you know, all, all the same one. Make make okay. sure, and then oh, yeah, yeah, I could do that. yeah. Thanks. So you're kind of assigning the topics as you hand it out. So there's one on refugees from the Economist. There's another on racism from uh, the Atlantic. Another on gun control from Washington Post, and then a fourth on um, kind of secular disdain for Christianity. From the New Yorker. All right. If I know, I know these are attracting your attention. Can I have your attention for just a second, though? Um, this this is what we want to do with these articles. I want you to kind of read through them briefly. I know you won't have time to like really dig into every word of the articles, but just kind of run through them briefly. And then discuss as a group, what's your initial emotional response? So this is, this is trying to draw out that kind of, what's, what's your reaction to the news? Um, and try to be transparent about that. You know, I, I think we just want to acknowledge our response, even though it may not be godly. Um, just evaluate what your initial response is. Um, and then secondly... Do, do this work as a group. Apply the biblical worldview. So think of this storyline, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. How does that address this article? That may take a little bit more work for you, but we've got, we've got some time. We're going to take 10 or 15 minutes to do this. So read the article. What's your initial emotional response? Discuss that as a group. And then how does the biblical worldview speak to it?